The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. So as we continue our series in um, Genesis, we're in Genesis 4. Uh, we began the first half of Genesis 4 last week. A uh, quick recap. Um, we had the birth of Cain and then the birth of Abel. We're told that Cain worked the soil while Abel looked after the flocks. On one occasion, we're told that the two of them came to bring offerings to God. Cain brought some of his crops, where the emphasis was on just some of his crops. And we're told that uh, Abel, in fact Hebrews puts it this way, that Abel by faith brought God a better offering. We're told that he brought the fat portions, the best portions of the first of his flock um, and God accepted his offering but he didn't accept Cain's offering and Cain was not happy about that and so Cain got angry and invited his brother for what I said could have been a reconciliatory walk in the field but instead Cain took the opportunity and, and killed his younger brother Abel And when God approaches Cain with grace, Cain is unrepentant. And as a result, he's driven far away and he has to spend the rest of his life as a restless wanderer. In fact, we're told he went to Eastern, the land of Nod. And I always thought the land of Nod was the place of sleeping. But I look back in the, in, in the text and apparently the, the word Nod means restlessness of wandering. So it wasn't necessarily a place. It was that this is where you go to wander. This is a wilderness. This is a wandering experience. Cain expresses fear that he might in turn be killed by one of their siblings. Uh, the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who, uh, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. The Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. We noted last Sunday that by the time Cain and Abel's brother Seth was born, um, as recorded at the end of this chapter that we're in today, uh, Adam and Eve were 130 years after their date of birth or the date of creation. And I was wrestled with that because they, they were born as, as adults. They were created as adults. They didn't have a birthday as such. And so they had been on the earth mature adults for 130 years. And the estimate is that by this time, um, as I said, I, I question the starting at age of 20 because they could have started having children from day one, um, that in 130 years they were likely had 10,000 descendants already on the earth by the time Seth was born. We're just told about three of them up until this point. So this morning we pick up in verse 17. And we're told that Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad and Irad was the father of Mehuel and Mehuel was the father of Meshushal and Meshushal was the father of Lemek. Don't you love the names? Could have been just Bill and Fred. Would have been much easier. Just a really quick and important note. In this line, 
in the lineage of Cain and in the lineage of Seth, which we will come to, there are a number of names that are repeated, but they are very, very different people. And so in this case, Cain named his son, his first son, Enoch. That is not to be confused with the Enoch, who was the great-grandfather of Noah. And the other name is Lamech, who is at the end of that verse there, uh, not to be confused with, Noah's, confused with Noah's father by the same name. Noah's great-grandfather, Enoch, was such a godly man that we will later read that when he had lived a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch is one of the only two people in Scripture that we're recorded as never having died, just simply being taken living into the presence of God. Cain's son Enoch, however, was a very different kettle of fish. He was born to a very different context. As part of the penalty for murdering his brother Abel, Cain was told by God that he would be a restless wanderer on the earth. But here we have by verse 17 that Cain is building a city. God says you're going to be a restless wanderer and he says I'm going to settle down right here. We're not talking a large city. We're not even talking a small city. We're talking like a, a, get, a grouping of houses that have been surrounded by a city wall. Quite often in the Old Testament you find that there's a, a group of houses and then they build a city wall around and that's your city. So it's, it's not only a, a place of settling, it's a place of protection. Because a city wall makes a city defendable. So not only Cain was told he was going to be a restless wanderer and that God would protect him, but he actually wants to settle down and he wants to protect himself. And Cain named the city in honour of his son. And the name Enoch means dedication or some render at commencement or beginning. So there's this sense that in the naming of both his son and the city, that Cain is looking for a new beginning. The only problem being is what we find in our own lives is apart from God there are no new beginnings. No matter how hard we try, we can't change the past. Cain's desire was to settle, to make a fresh start. However, no matter, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, in our own strength we will fail. We may have some success in some measure for a season. However, as we shall see with Cain's descendants, eventually everything comes to nothing. Cain's lineage, his descendants, this branch of the family tree will be cut off by the flood. Between the death of Abel and the coming of the great flood, Cain's lineage is summarised in these two verses. With one possible exception of a mention possibly in Genesis 6, their impact is summarised in the next six verses. It's not to say that there wasn't a lot more people in, the, in, in that portion of that generation on that family tree. It's not to say that there wasn't a lot more that could be said. But God is not interested in communicating 
historical details and genealogies. He wants us to know and he wants us to understand and he wants us to do what is right. And he wants us to know and he wants us to understand the consequences for ourselves and for future generations if we reject him. And so in these verses we have a simple father-son lineage that is declared from Cain through to Lamech. And we're not told anything about these others in the middle, but we need to know that Lamech is a descendant of Cain. He's an inheritor of the decisions and the choices that Cain has made in rejecting God's rule. We're told that Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. It's a very simple statement. And in the simplicity of it, it's very easy to miss something significant. There's a reason that they notice he is the first man to marry two women. See, prior to this, if we look back in the scripture in Genesis 2, we're told Adam says, This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And in the New Testament, Jesus affirms the same thing. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? He said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. And you hear in this lineage, we have the first time that a man takes two women. Now as you read through the Read through the rest of the story after the flood. There are plenty of men who take more than one wife. But this is the first occasion. And it's suggested that that's typical of what happens in the world. That sin and new sin and new levels of degradation enter the world in those who have rejected truth. And it very subtly begins to enter the godly lines. God only works through broken people because he has no choice. There are only broken people. But it becomes very easy for us to bring into the church the brokenness that is in the world. The standards that are set out there gradually become acceptable. When I say in here, I'm not talking about in this building, I'm talking about in the people of God. And so as we continue in this morning's passage, we're told that Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. I'm sure that was... How do they choose his name? His brother's name was Jubal, the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zilla also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Naamah. From Cain and Abel, Cain uh, working the ground and, and Abel tending the flocks, Cain's descendants by this stage have branched out. Well, Cain uh, focused his endeavours on, on the building of a city. His descendants have diversified further. As the population's grown, the descendants of Jabal have begun to live in tents so they could travel with their flocks in search of fresh pasture. The descendants of Jabal have a musical bent. 
a focus on creating and playing various musical instruments, some stringed and some pipe-based. And the descendants of Tubal Cain learn to extract ore and manufacture metal tools. Quite a range of, of tools and endeavours. Good things. Valuable schools are skills. They display creativity and, and and we talked originally about part of the, the image of God and humanity is the creativity that we have. The problem is here they express a creativity. They express the creativity that is theirs as image bearers, but they reject the one whose image they bear. And I reflected on these words from Jesus. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their souls? Their achievements were significant in their time. But ultimately futile. If we think forward further and we think of uh, probably the prime example of what goes wrong when you choose more than one wife, we come to King Solomon, who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I was always told, you know, the penalty for bigamy. The penalty for bigamy is two mother-in-laws. Imagine 700 mother-in-laws. And yet Solomon, who was supposedly the wisest man who ever lived, again, we don't always get it right, he wrote, What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear has its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. From the book of Ecclesiastes. For all of his wives and for all of his reputation, for all of his wealth, Solomon reflects on the futility of life as you simply observe it. And so as we go back to Genesis 4, we note that Lamech's descendants did all these great things which were great in the moment, but they did not last. He's also notable for his arrogance. Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I don't know how long my wife would listen to me if I spoke to her like that. Margaret, wife of Brian, listen to what I say. That would probably be the end of the conversation. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. It seems that Lamech has been wounded. There's, there's a debate around what the actual language originally communicates, but it certainly seems to be that he's He's been wounded by a man, by a young man. 
And in response, he has killed that young man. Think of the lineage that he's come from. Cain, who kills his brother, and now Lamech kills this young man for wounding him. Now Cain was unrepentant, but he was fearful, and he said to God, somebody's going to hunt me down. And God said, well, I'm going to put a mark on you, and anyone who seeks to kill you, I will have vengeance seven times. So Lamech doesn't go to God. Lamech simply says, I was wounded, so I killed the guy. And if anyone wants to come after me, if, if, if Cain is avenged seven times, then I'm going, to avenge 70, I'm going to be avenged 77 times. And his pride and his arrogance, he, he speaks for God. That God will do more for me than what he did for Cain. Sin doesn't simply diminish with the passing of time and generations. You know, so many things wear out after time and diminish after time. Sin is not one of them. When a generation rejects God, the influence of sin and death in that generation and successive generations, without divine intervention, sin and death and destruction that follow only increase, as does the arrogance and the hardness of heart. So Lamech declares he has been wounded and he took a life. Now he declares that God will avenge him more than he would have avenged for Cain. How many people do you know who ignore God? They willingly even... Uh, enthusiastically violate the commands of God and then they expect while still unrepentant they expect God to clean up their mess you know I'm, I've been amazed at how many funerals I've done for the very elderly and I had one family said oh mum's going to be up there in heaven having a beer with God right now and it's like where do I start on that when I'm preaching a message at the funeral it's like she's probably never worried about God. They've probably never worried about God at any other time. But suddenly in the middle of this crisis, that somehow God is going to open the door and welcome them home. The pride and the arrogance, which was we assume we can ignore God for generations and then come back unrepentant. There's the key. With repentance, God opens the door wide. But we cannot come unrepentant. We cannot come in our pride and expect God to act on our behalf. Again, I'm reminded of some of the New Testament teachings. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There is a choice. It's very simple, it's very clear. Which brings us back to Genesis 4. And we're told that Adam made love to his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel. Since Cain killed him, Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time people began to call 
on the name of the Lord. Unlike Cain's hope for self-declared new beginning and his son and his city being named Enoch, Seth reveals something very, very different. He reveals that he really is, in a sense, a replacement for Abel. He is born in the character of Abel because he names his son Enosh. And Enosh brings with it a, a meaning of frailty. Not in a pessimistic, negative sense that I'm frail and weak and useless, but in an understanding of our mortality, of our humanity. And in acknowledgement of our humanity and our frailty and our dependence on God, we're told that at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It seems like there was this movement of people beginning to call together on the name of the Lord. People calling to him, returning to him. It's like a revival starts to break out through this faith of Seth and acknowledging our humanity and our frailty. Cain's hope, his claim to a place in history rested on himself. His strengths, his city and his descendants, their work and their accomplishment as farmers and musicians and metal workers. There's nothing wrong with being a farmer. There's nothing wrong with being a musician. There's nothing wrong with being a craftsman. None of these things are wrong in and of themselves. However, they're not a place to place our hope. Abel's hope and that of Seth and Seth's lineage was in God and calling on his name. I'm reminded of Psalm 20 that says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. One of the fascinating passages of scripture is when uh, we're told that, that, um, that, that David was tempted to, to count his troops. And you go, well, what's wrong with counting your troops? Well, when you count your troops, you're saying, have we got enough to do what we need to do? But when you consult God, it's like, God, what do you need me to do? Because you will be enough. We're not dependent on ourselves and our own resources. We're dependent on him. In Hebrews 11, when the, uh, that passage we know it lists the great heroes of the faith, the first one in that list is Abel. We're told by faith Abel brought a better offering than Cain. And then as the writer of that passage continues, his next on the list is Enoch. Not the other Enoch, this is the Enoch descendant from Seth, the one who did not die. And then it goes to Noah. And then it goes to Abraham. And having just listed those few men in Hebrews 11, we're told, all these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left... 
if they're trying to hold on to where they are, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their own, that he has prepared a city for them. Cain was determined to build a city and stay put where he was. But the people of God are prepared to go where God will lead them. Because he's prepared the city. We may do all the other things in the meantime. But our eyes are beyond that. As we continue to follow the story of Seth and his descendants, let's not forget these words from Paul. Not just as we journey through Genesis, but as we journey through life. In Colossians, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We are placed to live in this world. Some of us will be uh, builders or plumbers. Some of us will be musicians. We will, some of us will work the land. Some of us will build houses and build cities. But that is not where our heart is to be focused. Our heart is to be, we are to be people who continue to look to and call on the name of our Lord, our God. This is the inheritance of those who choose to live by faith. May we be people who choose to live by faith. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.